Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And it's wonderful today to be joined by Zahavit Shalev, who is rabbi at New North London Synagogue and also rabbi at New Essex Masorti Synagogue. And at New North London, she runs the conversion program and organizes provision for young families. She received her smicha a few years ago, 2019, from Leobet College in London, where she wrote her rabbinic thesis on Jewish thought and sleep. Look forward to maybe coming to that at some point. And she loves feminist, biblical, and Talmud criticism and also as a lover of 90% dark chocolate. I'm sure that prepares us for what we have in store, which is to explore with you, Rabbi Zahavit, your thoughts on Bamidba, and we look forward to hearing from you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Simon, for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. And actually, the feminist biblical criticism is definitely going to come in here. It's inspired some of my thinking about looking at Bamidba. I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. Fantastic. Look forward. Bamidba is such a, a unstructured and you look forward to un- unpacking the very first to open our sequence over the next episode. Just some overarching thoughts about Bamidba. I, I just picked up a book by Dr. Erica Brown. It was nice to have female scholarship about biblical material. And then I remembered that I've also read some of Rabbi Dr. Aviva Zornberg's book. So there's actually quite a lot of female scholarship, which was really great and prepped me um, to read this with my feminist eyes, which I like to do. Just because by Midbar is a new book of the Bible, uh, a formulation that I'm quite fond of, when you look at the Chumash and the five books, it, it always speaks to me. I always feel that there's something to be said for repeating this. So Uh, You can imagine that the five books correspond to five life stages. Genesis is clearly about birth and child. It's got all those stories about our ancestors and about wrangling to be born and to exist. Exodus is about adolescence because it's the fight to emerge and to be a free and adult autonomous individual. Leviticus, interesting, it's a book about rules. It's about learning to be a grown-up. So we might say it's the beginning of adulthood, it's young adulthood. And so now we're in numbers. So so what is numbers? Numbers, I think, is mature adulthood. I've just turned 50, so it might be where I myself am living. And Deuteronomy then would be uh, old age. So numbers. So if this is a place of uh, a kind of stable, mature adult, then there's something sort of poignant and a little bit sad about this book because this book is about failure. Erica Brown reminds us how much failure we see in it. We see tens of thousands of Israelites dying in various plagues and skirmishes. Ibn Ezra apparently says that the number of Israelites was depleted nearly by half from the time of their exodus from Egypt. We're, we're witnessing an entire generation die out. So it's not so pretty. And actually, a fascinating observation that Erica Brown brought to me. She says, Bible scholar Robert Cohen notes that in the wilderness text, there was not one single birth recorded. And we wonder as we read this fact, how we did not notice this before. So we're seeing a lot of death. Uh, we're seeing a generation die. But if we remember Exodus, 
Extus began with an obsession, Pharaoh's obsession with fecundity and the birth of Israelites. They were exploding into peoplehood. Vayishritu, they were al- almost like rats. They were, they were fecund, they were growing. There were so many of them were exploding out everywhere. So fascinatingly, Exodus was about massive population growth. And then numbers, horribly, is about everybody dying off and, and there's no births. It's just lots of people dying until there's a different set of people who are more malleable. That was really a really thoughtful, interesting observation. It's also, it's supposed to be about a journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. It picks up from Exodus. Leviticus punctuates the middle by giving us the manual for priests and a bunch of laws and stuff. But the narrative is really one that's continued more from Exodus. And they're going on a journey and it's the most inefficient journey. They just are meandering and bumbling around and things are going wrong all the time. They're clashing and they're fighting with God and God gets angry and Moses gets upset. It's a book about failure, Aviva Zornberg points out. And a bunch of people who left Egypt never get to see the promised land. They die off. I I wonder what you think of the notion of how structureless it is, like in the way that the other books have much more direction or, or focus around like subject area or like Leviticus, which mm-hmm. we've just finished, is obviously sacrificial and holiness and, and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, Exodus, we've got, you know, a clear kind of direction. And Bermidba just feels like they're in the desert, wandering mm-hmm. around, as you say. It starts off with this ambition to create structure in the wilderness. And there's this fantasy that this... um Stateless people will build themselves into a nation. They'll be in a place of absence and that will allow them to grow themselves and to put their own house in order. And the, Bamidbar, the very first sedra of Bamidbar, is full of lists. And it, it seems to be trying to set things up in a structured and orderly way. And, and I, I found that also very interesting that there's also a, a kind of diagram, a diagrammatic representation of the way in which the tribes are supposed to camp. And there's a fantasy that this is imposing order onto the chaos or the absence of the wilderness. That the, the tribes are divided. There's there's hierarchies about which tribes are the most important. They orient themselves in relation to the Mishkan in the middle. They're grouped in groups of threes where one tribe is the most important and two sort of lesser tribes flank them. And it's all, there's actually like a nice picture in the Sonsino Chumash that makes it look like here we've got a plan. And similarly, then there are many lists of names implying that there's a plan, that there's structure, that there's order, that we know who the leadership is. The leadership are all identified by their ancestry, the names of their tribes. Then there's numbers, there's censuses, there's lists of how many people are of warfaring age. And somehow this is supposed to suggest like there's a really good plan here. And then, as you said, Simon, that's not how the book continues. It starts off with all of the structure and then that disintegrates fairly quickly. And that's a kind of sad aspect about the book is the kind of entropy (laughs) that they lose their momentum they lose their focus these structures don't really hold them up after all just picking up on set on the census Mm. what what do you see as like the purpose of the census what does that bring within that's an interesting question i suppose it demonstrates that these were real people that their names 
give you a sense of the this is an interesting observation, not mine. The names give you a sense of the values of the Israelites because some of them you can pass those names to explain concepts that maybe the Israelites were developing. I'm not going to try and do that. I didn't know anything specifically. The thing that I noticed on this reading, which was specifically informed by the female scholarship that I read, was quite aggressively masculine language. All the census data is about, it's about men of warfaring age. So it's, Take a sense of the Israelite community, community by the clans of their ancestral houses, Veit Avotam, their father's houses, Bamisbashmot Kol Zachar, according to the name of each male, Legulgolotam, per capita, by skull, every head. Um, so there's a, there's quite a strong insistence on male lineage. And then all the language, because Hebrew is gendered, me benesrim shanavamala, from 20 years upwards, Koliot Seitzavab Israel, anyone who could go out to war in Israel and Savar, is a military verb that means mustering structured groups of people, hosts, military groupings, armies, and that language comes back tzava quite a lot. Tifkadu otam, otam, count them or number them according to the tz- their tzavaot, their military aspects. Atav aharon, you and Aaron, that's the commandment. That's the very beginning of the book. It's very much about identifying a male line of warfaring or people capable or fit for war. And and then it carries on. Associated with you shall be a man from each tribe, each one the head of his ancestral house. You've got the word ish three times in a verse that only has 10 words. And again, it talks about veit avotav, ancestral paternal houses. So there's all this sort of patronymic stuff going on. And it's almost like there are no women. They're implied. And you can do the sums to work out. If you have this many men, how many people have you got? But it's not really mentioned. And I think that's because women and children are messier than men of warfaring age that you can muster into troops. And the, the Torah desperately wants to maintain that sense of structure and order. I know that elsewhere, I think it's in Samuel, when King David counts the people, that, that, that brings about divine anger. And I think towards the end of Shemot, in Exodus, the taking of, of a census is, is a hint at being fraught with, with risk. Mm. And I, I, wonder, I wonder your thoughts like on on that and why that might be yeah that's interesting because i i think that the negativity about census taking hasn't yet happened i think this is neutral i think when we read it back later on it feels a bit hubristic maybe as you said, when you start to express a kind of feistiness around like these are the people we've got and this is their lineage and we are firm and strong. And then we know that all of that leadership doesn't actually amount to much in the end. It's still going to disintegrate into moaning and dis- discontent. And along your important feminist lines, how do you reconstruct or interpret for today so when i was looking and i was thinking there's a lot of there's a lot of male names there's a lot of male ancestry there's a lot of talk about troops and about the kind of warfaring thing like cherche la femme and also the return of the repressed there's got to be something that is being pushed back and i found a couple of kind of giveaway words 
that made me think maybe there's a maybe there is a sort of an underneath narrative and actually Aviva Zornberg is often very good with looking at the kind of psychoanalytic the repressed the stuff that's underneath them so I found a couple of clues in the language of chat and I didn't have time to go and write the whole thing although I might develop a whole sermon on this but one of the things I noticed is that in chapter 1 verse 17 there's a point where it says Moshe Varon, Moses and Aaron took Eta Anashim Ha'ela, these people, Ashenik Vu Bishmot, who were called by name, who are designated by name now. Nikvu is from Nakav Nekeva, which means the feminine. It means they were designated by name, but Nakav, it's horrible, but it means pierced or perforated. And it's quite a crude uh, expression of the feminine. But the word nekeva for feminine comes from this, this realm of language. And it bespeaks a kind of vulnerability or the ability to be penetrated or damaged or somehow, somehow defeated. And I, so I think there's an, that calling them ha'anashim ha'ela ashenik vu b'shemot, actually in some ways it responds to what you said about the sort of the curse of the census once you name people they become more vulnerable they stop being invulnerable they start to be designated they start to be almost targets or or real people or, or fallible human flesh and blood people so I noticed that then thought we wanted to emphasize the invulnerability of these troops but actually we inadvertently alluded to their softness, their ability to be hurt. And then there's another space, and the verse later, it says, people are convoked, and it says, who were registered by the clans of their ancestral houses. But when you see the word, it means something to do with childhood. It means that these people are associated with their ancestral houses. But I think it also reminds you that all grown-up soldiers were once children. They're not invulnerable. They are also human beings who are flesh and blood and who were once not warriors and might not be exclusively warriors. So I see hubristic signals there that for all the talk about how organised the Israelites are and what a great group of fighting warriors we've got, protesting too much means that we're also a bit fearful about how things will unravel. I wonder um, what what you might think, just look casting a, a wider eye on the, the rest of Bamidba, but there are, I think, more Parshiot dedicated to individuals than any other. Korach, Balak, Pinchas, drawing on some of the themes that you've already referenced uh, it, like, and, and with regard to them and, and the, the, the power of individuals and you're thinking on some of those. Those are interesting because they're stories also about discontent and disintegration. Korach and Pinchas are, there are stories there about leadership challenges. There's also Balak, which is like another really weird in, interposition of a whole different story about that ends up, it's a whole nother episode. And actually, I'm not quite sure how to locate it in the whole book right now. But yeah, again, maybe it goes back to, to the notion of thrashing things out at midlife. In some ways, I think people think that at midlife, as I said, if, if that's the fourth book and it demonstrates mature adulthood, people imagine that they worked out the basics of how to do stuff. And the irony is that they're beset by different kinds of problems than the ones they anticipated. And actually all problems are ultimately management problems. They're about dealing with difficult personalities. So it would make sense 
that what's happening is that there's challenges which are fronted by specific individuals, real people who have validity, like they're, they're going to come up and they, they say valid things about leadership. Korach, when, when he says, surely all the people are holy. Well, yeah, these are genuine questions about who's equipped to lead, whether other models of leaders could do better. So I, I suppose it makes sense that those are portraits of people bumping up against each other with real people, with real personalities, individuals having specific Bruegesses. And maybe finally, how do you see, how do you see, maybe going back to your original theme of the books of, of the Torah corresponding to life cycle, how, how do you, how further do you, do you like unpack that? Oh, that's it. Well, I hadn't really taken the whole book into account, but I think we, do we end with B'not Slavchat? I think we, we, might do actually at the end of Bamidbar. And if we do that, it takes us to quite an interesting place. Because that's also, there's also a question about women there as well. I have to actually verify if I'm right, that's the note that we end on with the whole book. Yes. So actually, this warrants definitely further investigation. There is a whole thing about women. Where do women fit into this whole paradigm of who the people are? And of course, an army, the purpose of mustering all of these troops and talking about men of fighting age is that they'll go and conquer and settle the land. And then the people will live there in peacetime. And people means people. So of course, there's going to be questions about unattached women, which is exactly what that story is about. And the consequences for living in a settled way for all the things that were being thrashed out in the wilderness years before arriving in the land. So I suppose that would be you always want to look as well, because the structure of biblical texts is always these kind of concentric circles, you want to try and discover whether there's a frame around the entire book that somehow brackets both ends of it. And and in some ways, yes, in some ways, despite the absence of many female characters, there's hints of the problems that women bring <laughs> into peoplehood that occur at the beginning and at the end. So I definitely want to have another good hunt and see whether that plays. Thank you so much for exploring so many uh, wonderful themes and definitely look forward to picking up some of those threads and look forward to your coming back to explore further. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for getting me started. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about our exciting content that we have for you on our mothership, jewishquest.org. And we very much look forward to meeting again next week. Mm-hmm.